Well, this morning, we're going to catch up with Paul and Barnabas. We had two weeks where we focused on Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry. We looked at uh, Luke's account of the triumphal entry. Luke is the writer of Acts, and so we, we took a pause in the, in the book of Acts to see what Luke had to reveal about Palm Sunday. And then last week we saw Luke's account of the resurrection. Well, this, this morning we're back. We catch up with Paul and Barnabas. When last we saw them, they were in Cyprus, and now they've traveled a journey of over 100 miles to the remote region of Pisidian Antioch in Turkey. So they are on the move, Paul and Barnabas. And in Acts chapter 13, we see them go into the Jewish synagogue. Again, they're Jewish by birth, Jewish by national ties, but they are Jews who have seen through the Holy Spirit that Jesus is the fulfillment of all that the prophets wrote in the Old Testament, in the Law and the Prophets. Jesus is the Messiah. They have seen Jesus for who He is. They go into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and they sit down. And we see in verse 15, Acts chapter 13, verse 15, that after the reading of the Law and the Prophets, that's, that's our Old Testament, the synagogue officials, they send word to Paul and Barnabas, and, and they say, brothers, which is interesting, brothers, if you have any word of exhortation, say it. Share with our people. Paul and Barnabas are invited to chime in. That's, a, that's, that's really an honor, a privilege. Well, Paul is not bashful. <laughs> He's not bashful at all. So Paul stands up and, and motions with his hand. He, he says, men of Israel. Again, they're way off in Pisidian Antioch, but these are nationalistic Jews. He says, men of Israel and you who fear God, all those in that building, in that room, who may not be Jewish by blood, by birthright, they have a desire to be a part of the people, affiliated with the people, and they are there. And Paul says... All of you who fear God, listen. Paul addresses them respectfully. And then he begins to build a bridge of connection to them. Paul shares common ground with them, and for the next couple of verses, he recaps some of their shared history. He says, The God of this people Israel chose our fathers. God chose our fathers and made our people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. He goes all the way back to Genesis. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out of Egypt. He's now opening the door to the book of Exodus. <laughs> and then Paul says, we chuckled about this in our first hour. For a period of about 40 years, God put up with Israel in the wilderness. That's putting it lightly. <laughs> Think of all that we've heard and read about Israel in the wilderness. God put up with them. And then we read, when the Lord had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, He distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years. And after all of those things... That phrase, after these things, that's a whole lot of history. God gave Israel judges. 
those leaders who would give some margin and direction and some guidance until Samuel the prophet. Samuel the prophet comes on the scene and then Paul says, then Israel asked for a king. God gave them Saul. Saul was king for 40 years. I'm going to interject something. Israel did not want God to be king. They forsook God. They forsook their uniqueness. God chose them. God made them great, but it wasn't enough for Israel. They wanted, in essence, to unchoose God. They wanted to be like everyone else. They wanted to look the same. They wanted to function the same. God had set them apart, but they did not want to, to look different. They didn't want God to be in charge. A lot of folks want that very same thing today. A lot of churches, scarily enough to say there's a lot of churches that don't want that. They don't want to look different. Saul became king, and, and Saul was a problem from the beginning. He's a man of tragedy. And, and, and Paul says, after the Lord removed Saul, he, he raised up David to be king. The Lord said, I, found, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all of my will. And then Paul pulls the curtain back for the great revelation. He says, from the descendants of David according to God's promise that he made to David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. So Paul makes that connection. And then Paul references John the Baptist. He, he, he shoehorns John the Baptist in here. He says, after John... John came, John the Baptist came and, and with a baptism of repentance to all the people. And John, has, John kept telling them, I'm not the Messiah. You suppose that I am, but I'm not he. I'm not worthy to tie the sandals of the one who is coming after me. Israel's Savior, Jesus. And Paul says to these in the synagogue, brothers, sons of Abraham's family, all of those among you who fear God, to us, to all of us, to all of us, this message of salvation has been sent. This is good news. It's salvation, and it's for all of us. And then Paul, he points back to the home office. He points back to Jerusalem. And he points back to that final week of Jesus' life. He says, To those who live in Jerusalem and those rulers concerning Jesus, they didn't recognize Jesus, even though the prophets spoke of Jesus as the Messiah. They ignored these declarations of the prophets, which are read in every Sabbath. I mean, that's what they were reading. They were reading the, the law and the prophets, which speak of a Messiah, a suffering servant who is to come. And Jesus has fulfilled all of these things, but Jerusalem and its rulers did not recognize Jesus. They condemned Jesus, but what they did when they condemned Jesus, they fulfilled what the Scriptures said. 
Paul says. They found no grounds for putting Jesus to death. They asked Pilate that Jesus be executed. And they carried out everything that was written concerning Jesus in the Law and the Prophets. In the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets, Jesus crucified. They took Jesus down from the cross and they laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. God raised him from the dead. And for many days, Jesus appeared to those who came up with him from the beginning of his ministry in Galilee all the way to Jerusalem. He appeared to them all, the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. They're all talking about him. They're all telling about him. They're all preaching about him. And Paul says, and we preach to you the good news of of the promise which God made long ago to our forefathers. That God has fulfilled this promise to those of us who are the descendants. How has the Lord done this? And Paul says, by raising Jesus. By raising Him from the dead. Paul knows his audience. He knows to whom he's speaking. And so what he does, he points back to the book of Psalms. He goes to the, and he says, in the second Psalm, it's written, you are my son, today I have fathered you. If we were to read the second Psalm this morning, we read it on this side of the cross, we're able to see that that's God the Father speaking to God the Son. You are my son, today I have fathered you. As for the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead, never again to return to decay. Jesus is not in the grave. His body is not decaying. He's not turning to dust. The Lord says, I will give you the holy and faithful mercies of King David. King David. Again, it's a Jewish audience. God says in another psalm, Paul says, God says in another psalm, you will not allow your holy one to undergo decay. And here's the difference between King David and Jesus. David, after he served God's purpose as king, doing all the kingly things and some things he shouldn't have been doing, David dies. He falls asleep. And he's buried with his fathers. And his body undergoes decay. But he whom God raised, Jesus, did not undergo decay. I serve a risen Savior who's in the world today. The Lord did not undergo decay. The Lord is alive and well. And Paul continues... He says, Therefore let it be known to you, brothers, that through Jesus forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you and me. Jesus, through Jesus and His cross, everyone who believes is freed from all things, from which we could not be freed through the law of Moses. The law of Moses. We've heard of it. We've read of it. What what is the law of Moses again? Well, you've got the Ten Commandments. We've all heard of the Ten Commandments. There's morality laws, there's community laws, there's dietary laws. There's lots of, at first, odd-sounding stuff. 
which are found in the first five books of the Bible. The law of Moses, given from God to his people there in the wilderness. This is what we need to remember about the law of Moses. The law of Moses diagnoses, identifies the presence of the presence of sin, the reality of sin. Sin is a result of man's broken relationship with God. We've all sinned. And so this is why the law of God applies to all people throughout all of history. And the law gives statutes which which counter these sins. And the law, (laughs) it's fairly intensive. It's It's hardcore. Paul says that through Jesus, everyone who believes in him and why he came to deal with sin as the Son of God on the cross, everyone who believes in Jesus is freed from all things. Whew! That is good news. Jesus sets free where the law does not. Amen. That is good news. Paul would write years later in Romans chapter 8, he would say that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ. Free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Jesus and the law are connected. They're connected. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 5, that he is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus did not come to abolish the law. He did not come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill the law. And if one trusts in Jesus to take care of sin, if you and I trust in Jesus to take care of sin, what we're doing... we're acknowledging the reality of sin. If we've trusted in Jesus to forgive our sin, we are saying sin is real. Like darkness is real, why I need a light. Sin is real, guilt is real, and I need salvation, I need Jesus. The reality of sin is defined by the law of Moses. Sin is defined by the law and is given diagnosis by the law. And the law points to the cure for sin, a blood sacrifice, a full atoning sacrifice which is fulfilled only by that great and final revelation of Jesus. Jesus is the one who sets us free. He's the the full atoning sacrifice. Jesus and the law are intertwined. If one ignores the law, and there are a lot of folks who want to ignore the law today, if one ignores the law, in essence, one is ignoring Jesus. Let me say that again. If one ignores the law... One ignores Jesus. They are connected. Sin is real. But thanks be to God, (laughs) the availability of salvation is just as real. Paul shares all this. And then he gives these folks, these, these folks in this synagogue, he gives them a warning. 
Really? Yeah, he gives them a warning. He says, therefore, see that the things spoken of in the prophets does not come upon you. Paul quotes the word of the Lord given to an old prophet named Habakkuk. There's a a short book in, in your Old Testament named Habakkuk. You may have never read it. But this prophecy says, Look, you scoffers, and be astonished. Perish, for I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. The word which the Lord gave to Habakkuk addressed what would be the exile of Israel. When the Babylonian Empire would come in and would take Israel captive and send them into exile. Paul takes that prophecy given then and he says it to these folks this morning in the synagogue and he points to two things. The fall of Jerusalem and the temple which will happen a few decades after this conversation in the synagogue this morning in the year 70. But then when he, when he gives that prophecy he's pointing to that great and terrible day at the end of time when Jesus will return in glory and in power with his angels. That day, we are told, all the tribes on earth will mourn. If we've trusted in what Jesus has done, we will not have fear. But we will mourn. Why will we mourn? Because of the lost opportunities we had to share the gospel. Paul finishes his sermon. Finishes his sermon. He's laid all of this out. He's he's even threatened the folks. (laughs) And Paul finishes the sermon, draws to a close, off the platform he goes, and this is what happens. Paul and Barnabas are going out. And the people, they could have been incensed, they could have been furious, they could have cried for their heads. I can't believe what this man said to us. Look what happens. Paul and Barnabas, they're going out. The people repeatedly beg to have these things spoken to them again the very next Sabbath. Amen. Come back and tell us again. Tell us this good news, the gospel. Even though you've threatened us, (laughs) come back and share it again. So, So rather than be offended, those in the synagogue invite them to come to speak at the next meeting. And so when the, the meeting of the synagogue, it breaks up, and the, and the Jews, they're, and, and these followers of the Jews, they're following Paul and Barnabas. And I guess their names are on the marquee for the very next week. They're on the synagogue sign, Paul and Barnabas. And so we see that the very next Sabbath, nearly all the city, all of Pisidian Antioch, assemble to hear the word of the Lord. They didn't come to see a show. They didn't come to see a program. They didn't come for this event or that event. What did they come? They came to hear the word of the Lord. The Jews see the crowds. They're incensed. They're angry. They're jealous. And they begin to contradict these things spoken by Paul. So, and really what they're doing, they're blaspheming. And Paul and Barnabas, they speak out boldly and they say, it's necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first as Jews. But since you repudiate it, you consider yourselves unworthy of eternal life. This is what Paul says. We're turning now to the Gentiles. 
We've offered it to you. You don't want it. And he says, for the Lord has commanded us. Paul quotes Isaiah. Isaiah's, the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, and Isaiah is actually speaking about Jesus when he says there in, in 47, I have appointed you as a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. Paul takes that verse and says, we're commissioned to do the same. We're to take Jesus to everybody. Remember a few weeks ago I told you that Jesus is Lord of all. All have the opportunity to be saved. All have the opportunity to, to turn from sin. All have the opportunity to be saved. The Gentiles that hear this, they're in 48, and they're rejoicing and they're glorifying the Word of God. And then you see this. All who have been appointed or established to eternal life, they believe in Jesus. Woo! Revival breaks out then we see that the word of the Lord is being spread throughout the entire region, just as we've seen throughout the book of Acts. It's not a program, it's not a concert, it's not an activity, it's not a special event. It's sharing the truth of salvation through God's word. The Holy Spirit is at work, lives are being changed, revival is breaking out, and it is good. The enemy doesn't like it. The enemy is in the business of opposition. And not everybody is happy about the word of the Lord spreading. Sometimes that even happens now in the church. That's crazy. But not everybody's happy. So there's a group of Jews who incite devout women of prominence there in Pisidian Antioch and leading men of the city, and they instigate this persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and they drive them out of the region. Guys... What is one way to get us stirred up about something? Yes, you get our wives worked up <laughs> into a snit. And that's what happened here. These Jews got the wives worked up. That in turn got the men worked up. And then they turned all this on Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas, they shake off the dust from their feet in protest, and they go on down the road. Jesus himself told his disciples in Luke chapter 9 that if people do not welcome you, leave their town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And why did Paul already say? He, he, he levied a threat against them. This is what's going to happen. But despite any opposition or shortcoming or trial or disappointment or persecution, what happens? The final verse this morning, look at this. The disciples are continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come what may. The hard corners, the hard places, the hard edges of life, despite those, they're filled with joy. There was a writer that I read in preparation for the sermon who, who made, that state, made this statement about that Scripture. Nothing can be more beautiful than this description. There's joy which comes from being set free. Joy which comes from being set free. Even in those days of our lives 
where there may not be a whole lot of happy going on for whatever reason. There can be a sense of joy continually. And the joy comes from what we've seen in Scripture today. Paul said, Let it be known to you, brothers and sisters, through Jesus' forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you and me. Through Jesus and his cross, everyone who believes is freed, is set free from all things. Things which we couldn't be set free from through the law. Again, the law diagnoses the presence and the reality of sin. The law points to the need to have a cure for sin. Jesus' death on the cross pays that debt of sin. We confess our sins. We we believe that Jesus, as the sinless Son of God, has taken those sins of ours to the cross with Him. Confessing Him as the Lord, as the boss of our lives, to be in charge. Letting the Lord tell us what to do. (laughs) When we ask Him to be the boss, we're saying, Lord, I'm going to listen to you. And He saves our souls. He sets us free. And then at that moment, when we trust in what He's done, we have the very life of God indwelling us. And, and, And I look at this room, there are lots of lives here who've done that. Let me remind you that you have the very life of God living in you. And whereas you may not feel the happy this morning or this evening or last night or this week or last week, you may not be full of happy, but you can be full of joy. You can be full of hope because of what Jesus has done to take away sin. He's the cure for sin. And there's times where maybe we don't like the medicine we have to take to deal with our problem. Jesus is that medicine. He takes care of that and He gives us... The the Lord has given us nothing less than Himself to indwell us, to bring us hope, to bring us help, to bring us comfort. That's the promise of salvation, having His Holy Spirit in us. We have a good Savior who loves us, one who has died to set us free.